morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I am Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. Good to be with you on this Monday morning. If you're watching this live, this is for Monday morning, June 19th, and we are on day 535 of our three-year journey through the Word of God. First Chronicles chapter 11 is before us this morning, the beginning of the reign of King David. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for all that your word teaches us about who you are, about your faithfulness, about your history of dealing with your people, about how you prepared the way for Christ, and about how Jesus has come to rescue us. Father, we pray that you would be our teacher and our guide today through 1 Chronicles 11. Lead us in the truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Well, we've come really to the heart of what First Chronicles is really all about, uh, and that is the reign of David. But of course, all of Scripture is really about the kingdom of God coming ultimately in David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the unifying theme of all Scripture is the coming of the kingdom of God, which comes in the person of the king, promised and long-awaited the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we have uh, a precursor, uh, ancestor, a forefather of the Lord Jesus Christ, David, as he becomes king. Let's read together First Chronicles 11. Then all Israel gathered together to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, even when Saul was king, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord your God said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over my people Israel, so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel according to the word of the Lord by Samuel. And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, that is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. The inhabitants of Jebus said to David, You will not come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. David said, Whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went up first, so he became chief. And David lived in the stronghold, therefore it was called the city of David. And he built the city all around, from the millow in complete circuit. And Joab repaired the rest of the city. And David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. Now these are the chiefs of David's mighty men, who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel, to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This is an account of David's mighty men. Jashobim, a Hakmonite, was chief of the three. He wielded his spear against three hundred whom he killed, at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite. He was with David at Pazdamim when the Philistines were gathered there for battle. There was a plot of ground full of barley, and the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great victory. Three of the thirty chief men, went down to the rock to David at the cave of Adullam, when the army of the Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. 
David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was at the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink it. He poured it out before the Lord and said, Far be it from me before my God that I should do this. Shall I drink the lifeblood of these men? For at the risk of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did the three mighty men. Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the thirty. And he wielded his spear against three hundred men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the thirty and became their commander, but he did not attain to the three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzeel, a valiant man of Kabzeel, a doer of great deeds. He struck down two heroes of Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a man of great stature, five cubits tall. The Egyptian had in his hand a spear like a weaver's beam. But Benaiah went down to him with a staff and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and won a name besides the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but he did not attain to the three, and David sent him set him over his bodyguard. <clears throat> the mighty men were Asahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shamoth of Herod, Helez the Pelonite, Ira, the son of Ikesh of Tekoa, Abiezer, the son of Anathoth, Sibachai, the Hushathite, Eli, the Ahohite, Maharai of Netopha, Heled, the son of Bena of Netopha, Ithai, the son of Ribai of Gibeah, of the people of Benjamin, Benaiah of Pirathon, Hurai, of the brooks of Gaash, Abiel, the Arbathite, Asmaveth, of Baharim, Eliaba, the Shalvanite, Heshem, the Gizanite, Jonathan, the son of Shagi, the Herorite, Ahiam, the son of Sekar, the Herorite, Eliphal, the son of Ur, Hefer, the Mecharethite, Ahijah the Pelonite, Hezro of Carmel, Nari the son of Ezbi, Joel the brother of Nathan, Mibhar the son of Hagri, Zelek the Ammonite, Nahari of Beeroth, the armor bearer of Joab the son of Zeruiah, Ira the Ithrite, Garab the Ithrite, Uriah the Hittite, Zabab, Zabad the son of Ali, Adina, the son of Sheza, the Reubenite, a leader of the Reubenites, and thirty with him, Hanan, the son of Maacah, and Jehoshaphat, the Mithnite, Uzziah, the Ashtarethite, Shema, and Jeiel, the sons of Hotham, the Aurorite, <coughs> Jediel, the son of Shimri, and Joha, his brother, the Tizite, Eliel, the Mahavite, and Jerabai, and Joshaviah, the sons of Elnam, and Ithma the Moabite, Eliel and Obed, and Jaciel the Mesobite. Those are the mighty men of David. So, David's reign and David's mighty men.
we have a much abbreviated version of David coming to the throne than we have in 2 Samuel. We don't get the extended account of how uh, David was king first just at, he at Hebron, just over the tribe of Judah, and how ten of the tribes went uh, with uh, Ishbosheth and the, the extended civil war that lasted for years. We don't have that. We just have all of Israel gathering to David at Hebron. Again, I think the reason for this, you have to realize Chronicles was written years later, hundreds of years later, after First and Second Samuel. It was written well after uh, the whole story of the Davidic dynasty was well known. This is written when the people of Israel are returning from the Babylonian exile. So, you know, in the, in the early 500s, somewhere around maybe 520 BC, and so you know, nearly 500 years or more than 500 years after the reign of David. Everybody knows the story. Everybody would have read First and Second Samuel, which would have been hundreds of years old. And so the chronicler is not interested in giving a lot of, a lot of repeat information. There's obviously some repeat information, but his focus is much more in First Chronicles. We get many more chapters at the end that are focused on the temple. I mentioned this before, but probably uh, Ezra, or someone associated with the Levites and the priestly uh, class, but probably Ezra, who was a scribe and a Levite and a very important teacher of Israel after the restoration from the Babylonian exile. And the focus is on the temple and the Davidic kingship, the, the temple as the unifying center of Israel. And probably part of what the chronicler is trying to achieve in writing this under God's hand of sovereignty, of course, it's the word of God, but the human author is trying to accomplish getting the people of Israel to unite to rebuild the temple, which of course we know did happen. So we have this shorter uh, account, but the account does focus on the importance of, of Jerusalem, that is Jebus. And we don't have this story of the blind and the lame will ward you off, rather it is Whoever strikes first shall be chief and commander, and Joab gets it. And this helps us to understand how it is that Joab ends up becoming the leader of the army of Israel, even though, honestly, at times, he's not exactly an outstanding character, right? He does a lot of things that are petty and, and selfish and violent. Uh, he's not really a righteous man in the way that he walks. Now, he is the son of Zeruiah, and Zeruiah is David's sister, so he's David's nephew, so there's the family connection. But David made this offer. Whoever strikes the Jebusites first shall be chief and commander, and Joab, the son of Zeruiah, goes up first, so he becomes chief. That helps us understand why, how it is that Joab becomes the chief. And, and Joab does, under God's hand, have like a very important um, place in the providence of God in helping to secure David's kingship and helping to secure peace for Israel, as particularly in battles against the Philistines. And then the bulk of this chapter, we get back to another list of names. And here it is, the details of David's mighty men. Um, now, what's interesting is Shammah, who is one of the, the lead mighty men, uh, is not included here. Um, and so we, we don't know exactly why that is um, in, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a little bit 
um, unknown as to exactly why uh, that was um, that was omitted here, but um, but there's always you know God knows the reason, right? Um, and so uh, the the accounts of of the mighty men. Excuse me, I have a little tickle in my throat. <clears> throat. The accounts of the mighty men are a reminder to us that, of course, it was never David alone who accomplished all the great things that we associate with the Davidic kingship, securing Jerusalem, really uniting all the tribes, defeating the Philistines once and for all, and bringing peace to the land so that he could make preparations for the building of the temple in Jerusalem. All of these great accomplishments that we associate with David are not just David's accomplishments. God provided for him these men, many of whom came from troubled backgrounds and uh, were disgruntled and were sort of cast off from society. We know that, again, from 1 Samuel as background that everybody would have been familiar with by the time they read Chronicles that David had the cast-offs, the people who were sort of in trouble, the people who were rejected, the people who were, you know, troublemakers. They they gathered around David, and, and God used this, this unusual group of ragtag men who had courage and who had loyalty and who were used greatly by God to bring great victories. This is a reminder of a couple of different things. One is for this group that's returning after the exile and settling in the promised land and settling in Jerusalem, it's a reminder to them that it's not going to be one person's work to, to rebuild Jerusalem and, and re-lead uh, their, their, the people of Israel to greatness. I think there was an expectation of a messianic hope that we can see even still remaining in the days of Jesus where one man's going to come and he's going to be so powerful and so mighty that he will be the new David and he will lead Israel to greatness. So there's a reminder to that returning exilic community, uh, reestablishing in the land, that it's not going to be one guy, but it's the people of God working together. It's all the people that God has called and that God has gifted and that God uses for his purposes. And even for us, we can see this in Jesus. Now, Jesus does accomplish the work of salvation by himself. He finishes the work of salvation on the cross. He is the greater son of David, who was greater than David ever was. David could not do the work of God by himself. Jesus did the work of God by himself. He carried the cross. He, he bore our shame. He died for our sins. He conquered death. He ascended into heaven. But even Jesus called men to himself. There were the twelve, and there were the 72, and there were the 150 who were in the upper room at Pentecost, and then there were the 3,000 who got saved on the day of Pentecost. And the body of Christ and the ministry of Christ is carried out through many people, some of whom are well-known and some of whom are not well-known. We see that among David's mighty men. Some of these names are familiar to us. We've heard of them before. Other names, we go through the mighty men, we never heard of them. We don't really read about them any other place but in this list. And then, of course, soldiers who were in the army of Israel, we, we never even know who they are. And that's just like the Lord, isn't it? He has 12 disciples 
There were three who were the inner, like just like there were three mighty men who were the upper echelon of the mighty men of David. There were three inner circle disciples, Peter, James, and John. And we know a lot about them. We know a lot about what the Lord did through them. But even the rest of the 12, we don't really know that much about what the Lord did through Simon the Zealot or through Bartholomew or through Nathaniel. We know bits and pieces. We, we see glimpses of them in the Gospels, but obviously they were important. And God called others whom he greatly used. The work of God in the world goes out through the Holy Spirit, filling and using the people of God, each in our place, each with our gifts and our calling, each with our abilities, some more prominent, some more hidden, some more dramatic, some quieter. But this is how the work of God goes forth. It's what happened in David's day. It's what happened in Jesus' day when he said, it's better for me to go away because I can send the Holy Spirit and he will empower you and you will do even greater works than I did. Jesus was one man. And at the end of his ministry, there were 150 disciples, but the Holy Spirit gets poured out and the, and the disciples the apostles are all preaching on the day of Pentecost, and then Peter gives the great sermon, and 3,000 souls are saved, and then the gospel spreads like wildfire. And in one generation, it reaches from India to Ethiopia to Spain to Rome, all over the Roman world and beyond. And this is how God works. And I think that's the takeaway lesson for us, is Jesus is the greater than David, who does accomplish the will of God and the salvation of God's people. But just as David used these mighty men who were rallied around him, so the Lord uses the members of his church, the members of his body, to do the work and to carry out the victory that he has secured for his people. So what part do you have in that? What part do I have in that? How has God gifted us? How has he called us? Where has he put us? What opportunities are before us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us for your call upon our lives, for the fact that you would use even sinners such as we are, weak as we are, insignificant as we are, but you use us. You use us in your time and in your place according to the gifting you've given us and the opportunities you put before us. Help us to be faithful to those things. Help us not to grasp after what you've given to some other people, but help us to be faithful with what you've given us, that we might faithfully serve your purposes for us in our generation. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me for day 535. I think Mike's going to be back tomorrow as we continue in First Chronicles with chapter 12. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Mm -hmm.